0: the quantum mechanics yes we are the quantum mechanics with the paranormal podcast for the believers the doubters and everyone in between Uh, ben i wanted to start off this week i think we may have inadvertently created a rift in the space-time continuum
1: how did we do that (laughs) (laughs) i wasn't me (laughs) Uh, well it
0: kind of was in a way oh well it was both of us we're both to blame um you remember last week we were talking about where you listened to the podcast and we were talking about your shower it was very funny if you know not not go back i actually i laughed out loud when i listened back to it which <laughs> is always a good sign but we were talking about um one of our listeners who left us a review and said that they listened to the podcast in the bath while they're having a soak yes, and I they always listen says. to that yeah So we talked about that last week and they sent us another message because they were a bit shocked and surprised (laughs) at last week when they're having their little bath and we started talking about them while they were in the bath, talking about them listening to us in the bath and now we've just done it again so it'll probably happen again this week. It's like a really bad version of that Tom Cruise film, you know, what was it, Um, Live Bath Repeat, it's probably Uh, so.
1: (laughs) Yes, yeah, yeah, well... We're getting a reputation now for you can only listen to this show if you're in somehow submersed in water
0: yeah although we get a lot of forest listeners i remember that we've got people oh, who yeah. go and listen to us in kind of spooky locations which i always think is good but um yes yeah, so if we have created a rift in the quantum continuum we do apologize and um obviously not this week because we've talked about it again but we'll never mention it again as of next week so hopefully we haven't done too much damage
1: and we were really angling for that ray Dox sponsorship but i don't think it's coming in <laughs> it really isn't
0: <laughs> <laughs> i also uh, wanted to give a A shout out to uh, someone, hold on, I just can't read Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to Scourfield Griffiths who uh, was one of the people this week one of the people who left us a really lovely review Um, thank you for that and they were talking about the fact that uh, they want their life back because they just spend all their time listening to our back catalogue of episodes which did spark an idea from me this week on a Friday I was thinking we might do this flashback Friday thing where we pick out an old episode and uh, just put it out there because we're getting loads of new listeners who may not have gone back and seen them. So um, if I remember, or both of us remember to do it, we'll probably do a flashback episode every Friday.
1: Oh, good idea! Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've done a few. We've done a few good ones. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I think we've got better, but um, we've covered. I realise we covered such interesting topics over the last couple of years. So, um, and if any uh, listeners out there have got any suggestions of their favourite episodes, um, we'd really love to hear that, and we can maybe feature that in the Flashback Friday thing. That seems like a good idea.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and also. Um, I think it's only fair to mention other podcasters if uh, there's a standout story. Everybody, uh, I think you might have to be, oh, I don't know, maybe it came in the free show, but anyone who listens to Mysterious Universe, a uh, great episode on dragons this week. Some of the stuff they're talking about, they're doing an interview, intersected with your episode, um, Peter, about British dragons. Oh, okay. Uh, it's well worth giving that a listen. It's uh, It's quite an amazing tale they tell. Cool.
0: Excellent. Yeah, no, know there's always good value in mysterious universe. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. So, last week, before I had really... I told, I told you I was going to do something about mice. Yes, that's I, all I knew. I, I had some, <laughs> some stuff and then um, I sat down to do some more research and bizarrely on the screen, on the television behind me, came on uh, Weird Science, which is a film I haven't actually watched in school. I'm not sure how it would stand up to modern day eye scrutiny
0: right but is, is that the one where they build a kind of female yes. robot thing that's the one i remember that's right yeah. yeah
1: yeah it's um it's a little i don't know it's a little weird um when you look back on it but i thought okay fine let's completely focus on weird science Okay, and cool specifically i'm going to move into paranormal stuff but the reason i said mice is because i'd started looking into afterlife stuff and i was trying to find a new angle or something that we hadn't spoken about with afterlife. Because normally he sort of just goes down to oh and he's got extraordinary memories. Yeah, right. Yeah, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Um like reincarnation and stuff like that. That's right. It, yeah. Reincarnation, yeah. 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 And I feel like, oh, we'd heard those things time and before. So what got me into the weird science? I don't think this is particularly paranormal, but it is kind of interesting in the, how it might turn into the paranormal. Um, And I think I did briefly mention it ages ago, but I had a proper look at it. So in 2013, um, scientists demonstrated that memories can be transferred from a mother mouse to our offspring through a particular smell. Do you remember me mentioning that I'd seen this? This
0: does sound familiar, yes, yes. I I, I didn't remember the smell bit, but I did remember kind of something being passed down. So
1: it all happens at the University of Chicago, and it was focused on a particular odour, or a specific odour, I should say, called acetephanine, which is um, naturally present in the urine of mice. So um, I guess that's why they chose it. (laughs) And what they did was associate the smell of this with a mild electric shock. And so after the training, the mice would show a fear response when exposed to the smell alone. Typical kind of skinner stuff, really.
0: Yeah. I don't really need that with the smell of wheat. No, it's terrifying. They could have done without the shock for
1: me. <laughs> uh, so they show that fear response even when the electric shock isn't there. Right. And the female mice are then um allowed to go and give birth to offspring and as you could imagine through the hypothesis that i just mentioned the baby mice show a fear response when they come across the smell of acetophenon 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 that's what it's called yeah and so when they showed this heightened... That was a piss-poor pronunciation. Oh, <laughs> that's good. I wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> so that mother's association between the smell of the elec- and the electric shock had been passed down t- through the offspring. Yep. What I didn't know at the time was when they look at the DNA of the offspring, they found that the genes responsible for detecting that specific odour were more active in the offspring of the trained mice compared to those of untrained mice. Right. So there's a very that you could see evolution happening in real time now whether you could say that is the passing down of a memory i think that's a bit of a i think that's a strong way of putting it what you're actually doing is showing an evolutionary design around things that might damage the organism i think that's what we're seeing but it's
0: interesting it's just one generation to the next because we often think about these things as you know taking you know hundreds thousands hundreds of thousands of years right but that's in pretty much instant from what you're saying
1: yes it is instant yes yes and i think that's what made everybody quite surprised now looking at it further that isn't nobody has conducted a similar experiment on humans probably because it would take so very long and the ethics of it might be difficult yeah um but I thought okay that's interesting I just wanted to mention that because that's where this started and then I started getting into much more deeply paranormal stuff the next the next story I want to tell you about is Houdini but to know about that story first I want to tell you about something called the cognitive dissonance of Leon Festinger sounds like a good film doesn't it that it does sound like a good film
0: <laughs> I'm seeing um uh who am I seeing in that what was it again the what
1: the cognitive? the cognitive dissonance of Leon Leon festinger I'm seeing Anthony Hopkins playing the key role of Leon yeah or festinger as I think you'd have to call him actually Festy. you could that could be a weekly ITV series festinger <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I sound like a detective while at the University of Minnesota, Festinger read about a cult that the believe that believed that the end of the world was at hand. I think I struggled over that because I should have said nigh, but um, <laughs> it was at hand, which is a really strange turn of phrase. Basically, uh, he interviewed a woman who he called Mrs. Quiche, uh, not spelt the same as <laughs> right. not the quiche that you write that you eat, yeah. spelt with a K and two E's. Right. She reported receiving messages from extraterrestrials that the world would end in a giant flood on a specific date. She attracted a great number of followers who left jobs, schools and spouses and gave away their money and possessions to depart in a flying saucer. Sounds really like Heaven's Gate, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, Keish will do that to you though. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And according to Mrs Keish, they would arrive uh, to rescue uh, these true believers. Given the believers' serious commitments, Festinger wondered how they would react when the prophecy failed. Right. He and his colleagues, posing as believers, infiltrated Mrs. Keish's group and kept notes on the proceedings. I love this idea. Going undercover. (laughs) Going undercover. When the prophecy was disconfirmed, so basically the day passed... So there was a timeline, right? Yeah. Almost immediately... The most committed group members made calls to newspapers and sought out interviews. They were sort of um, they were saying, "Oh yeah, we d- we never thought it would happen anyway."
0: Right. So because I, I always think they always change the date, but they were no. they were like, "No, we never believed in it." Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. So he saw the cult members uh, as enlisting social support. This is days before social media. This is general support for their beliefs, lessens the pain of the disconfirmation. So when they go and speak to newspaper reporters and say, oh, we were so excited, we're quite disappointed it didn't happen, and I suppose looking back on it, it was an odd thing to believe, and they go, well, you know, and then people start saying, well, you know, look, people believe in all sorts of things. They go, yeah, yeah, yeah. So because they have such a strong belief, the more they can sort of um, turn it into a positive, if you like, or at least not a negative, the more vociferous they are in doing that. Mm. So their their behaviour confirmed a prediction from his cognitive dissonance theory, which the premise was that people need to maintain consistency between thoughts, feelings and behaviours. So um, if they have these extraordinary thoughts that they sort of put the rest of their feelings were out of, uh, and behaviours were sort of out of kilter, if you like, mm. and then to bring it all back down to a normal level, they had to find methods to bring them back down. If you see what I mean, it's, got, it's quite a long, complicated paper, but it sort of makes sense. It,
0: it sounds like a bit of um, a way of dealing with shame as well, maybe? Oh, yes, very yeah. much, yeah. yes. The kind of being wrong... <laughs> you know we talked about this the other week that we have this desire to feel that we're completely informed and know a little bit about everything so when we're proved wrong that's really hard for us to accept
1: isn't it it is it is so he um left the university of minnesota for stanford university in 1955 and this is probably where you will have heard of the stanford Stanford experiment nuts wasn't it yeah 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 so he did all of the force compliance right things whatever but the, the sort of the cognitive dissonance thing, which I think relates to what I'm about to tell you, is this cognitive um, theory which he proposed, he tested. So uh, the most extraordinary experiment, some subjects are given a dollar for telling a lie. Another set are given $20. Later, when evaluated, the, the group who, has, who were paid only a dollar said the task was more enjoyable than those that were paid $20. The subjects who were paid $20 should not have experienced dissonance because they were well rewarded and had ample justification for lying, whereas the group that had $1 had little justification for lying and should have experienced cognitive dissonance. Uh, So was
0: it... okay? I'm jumping ahead here, but was that connected with the money? Was more money meant it... Felt like a bigger lie.
1: No, more money meant that um, you were because you were being rewarded for the lie. Then it was it was obviously a job worth doing. But because right. a dollar wasn't very much, you had to go. Oh no! I, it was brilliant. I really enjoyed it. it doesn't matter if I was only paid a dollar. Right, right. So if somebody, one of your friends, says. You did all that work for a dollar. You go, no, no, but I loved it. I really loved it. Oh, I see. It.
0: So that's their ex- they have to find another yeah. excuse that's not financial. That's it, fascinating. Exactly, right. exactly,
1: yes. Which is why if you pay a lot to go to a theme park, for example, yeah. um, if you don't feel like you've got the right amount, you've had the right amount of enjoyment from it, you have to kind of come up with other things like, oh, well, the kids loved it, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, or yeah. it made it all u- worthwhile with that one ride. You find those excuses in everyday life, which is why when you start talking about things that might be unusual and paranormal, it's quite interesting to keep Festinger in mind in terms of what is happening to the people who either why, deny or confirm the experiment. That's fascinating. I
0: hadn't really thought about it that way that you have to have, you have to make yourself feel good about your decision. If the money's more, you feel better about it in some way. That's I, right. I, I'm slightly paraphrasing what you're saying, but that's fascinating, really fascinating.
1: So I think that might help us understand why we have one particular idea about the Houdini afterlife experiment do, do you know about this i've sort of read about it and and i've read lots of conflicting views as to whether is that
0: is this different to the one where he put up a reward to because of his mother it is it it's is different
1: it is let yeah, me tell okay. you about it because okay. i've i found this um write-up of the experiment really clearly explained by um he's an author and this was an online piece called thomas thomas uh, rosetto i think is how he pronounces it and uh, I'm paraphrasing from his brilliant afterlife experiment article on here and I never heard it put this way before but let me set the scene for you so it all comes back down to when in 1920 he met Sir Arthur Conan Doyle we know that he did this we've spoken about this before and their friendship lasted a good long while until Mrs Doyle who was a medium in 1922 gave Houdini a long but what he describes as a general message from his mother Mm. and this caused them to fall out because Harry said he had no proof that that was from his mother and this put such a strain on the relationship that he fell out with Conan Doyle Mm. because I believe again
0: I, I, I know a little bit about I'm a bit obsessed with the Conan Doyle Houdini relationship They were close enough they'd go on holiday together. Yeah they were right, yeah. Even though they disagreed fundamentally with the paranormal beliefs.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things that made him not believe was that him and his mother had a secret prearranged word, which is the word forgive. And I didn't realise that he was looking for that one word. Right. So later on, when Houdini is on his deathbed he again reiterates to the Doctor that he didn't believe in spirit communication, but he would tr- still try to send a prearranged message. That's the scientific thing to do right. anyway. Yeah. yeah, And he then, the author here, goes into... So him and his wife, they would obviously... Houdini's wife, that is. Yeah. Would perform on stage, and this is why Doyle thought that he had actual powers, mm. because he would do mind reading... And that
0: does fit into your belief thing because I've heard this before about Conan Doyle wouldn't accept that um, Houdini didn't have magical powers. He thought that was part of the That's act, right? right? Yes. Pretending that he didn't have them, but that sits with your belief system thing. He could not, as you know, take on board that it was all a con because that yeah. would change
1: his belief system, right? Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Darren Brown would have blown his mind. Yeah. But um, when they were doing memory tricks or um, uh, tricks of... So there's one particular trick where Houdini gets... um, Sorry, Bess gets given a a coin and Houdini has to tell her the year it was minted. Right. Which doesn't sound like primetime viewing now, but you could imagine it would be spectacular in the day and the reason is he has he with Bess has a set of ten keywords that are related to numbers so for example one relates to the word pray two is answer um number ten is the phrase be quick and so you can you can make up different numbers using those things and you can use them in a sentence so um if you say um houdini i pray uh that you can answer this pray one answer two it's 12 so the number he's looking for is 12 pretty simple but it's easy to hide in a conversation
0: we did um i remember when uh i was a lot younger and uh i was working for a tv company a couple of people started doing this type of thing for fun and they'd worked out their own system and we'd go to the pub and stuff and they'd just do it and then somebody else got let into the group and then we all started doing it I, I can't remember exactly how it worked but it was really subtle how because I, I remember it, it took me a couple of months I didn't even figure it out but you're sitting there really scratching your head going how do they know that how do they know that and you you think it's something to do with their speech patterns or language but once you get good at it it's really hard to You
1: detect it happening. Yeah, oh absolutely. Yeah. 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 Because um And I bet Houdini was brilliant at it. Yeah. And you edit out what you don't even hear the words because you just you know the meaning. It's only if you're you're a participant. Yeah. So when we come on to um this particular channeling, the other thing to note is that they had a more complex set of coding as well. Uh because the message that was sent best wasn't just um, single digits or anything it was uh, it was a full you know obviously full words so there's a the more complicated system uh, I won't explain the full thing but let's say Harry wanted to send the message hi, uh, hi H is the eighth letter in the alphabet so he would use the eighth word on the keyword list quickly since I is the ninth letter of the alphabet he would use the ninth word on the keyword list look so he would send a message containing two words quickly look that means hi yeah do you yeah. see so yeah yeah yeah.
0: From, yeah so so basically they they had quite a complex what well, they call it a cipher is that what they call it it it's is like a, a cipher yeah. isn't it yeah
1: yeah so we fast forward a little bit and there is a medium called arthur ford and he's channeling his regular spirit guide Fletcher, who claimed to be working with the spirit of Houdini. And if you so the aunt the he sends through a message basically, which um goes to Bess. And the message using this cipher system comes out as believe. Harry's message to his wife was to believe. This is
0: after his death, who did this? Yeah, right? this is after his death. Right. So
1: he's being channeled. Through another medium in front of Bess, right? So, the the actual things that come through the words, answer, tell, pray, answer, look, tell, answer, answer, tell, they sound like nonsense. But when he used the coding system, it turns into believe. And the full message is actually Rosabelle, believe. Wow. And there's a lot of importance in the name Rosabelle because it was Harry's most private and personal name. Yeah. For Bess, it's what was on her wedding ring.
0: Can I, can I just, just so I'm clear. So, Harry Houdini's passed on. This medium who shouldn't know that they had this cipher, yeah? Yes. Says, I've been in contact with Harry. I know this is, this is probably a, a, yeah, an yeah, idiot's yeah. guide yeah. to it. And relays this message to Harry's widow who then goes, wow, well, if I apply the cipher to it, it gives this word.
1: Yes, yes. So wow. the um, this this science is happening at Bess's home on Monday, January the 7th, 1929, and Ford and Fletcher, uh, they're the mediums, wow. not only brought, brought forward the entire message, but also explained the decoding method, which only Bess could have known. And they described that on the other side of this, Houdini and his mother are they helping get the message across. Wow. And uh, do we have any um,
0: insight into Houdini's wife's paranormal beliefs? Did she share his scepticism?
1: She did share his scepticism, right. although she did start seeing mediums a lot more that's, after he that's died. That's why I
0: kind of asked the question. It was, what was her motivations for seeing the medium? So that's interesting. Going back to your belief system thing earlier.
1: Yeah, so she... Uh, she was, she was hoping to get this message from Houdini and she was wanting it to be real. Yeah. But in front of several witnesses, she claimed that this message was correct and she gave an interview to the New York times about it. Wow. And during that, she says they are the exact words left for me by Harry. And I am absolutely convinced that my husband talked to me and that there is life beyond the grave.
0: So this connects with his deathbed message that he was going to send. Is this the type? Is it is it looser than that? Is it the type of message he was going to send? No, is no, it the no. Exact message. He
1: said that he would send a message using the code. Using the code. Didn't say Bass what knew the knew message the was, right? No, okay. no. Wow. And to back all this up, um, on January the ninth, Best signed a, a document on Houdini letterhead that clearly states that the message is accurate. Wow. And uh, this author actually puts um, uh, a copy of that into his article. And she says, regardless of any statements made to the contrary, I wish to declare that the message in its entirety and in the agreed upon sequence given to me by Arthur Ford is the correct message arranged between Mr. Houdini and myself, signed Beatrice Houdini. So the reason I went into the cognitive dissonance thing is because this was taken as oh this is more showmanship from the houdini family right. this is um, this is her being deluded yes and this is so when other people start saying oh bless her she just wants it to be true but right. it's a nonsense message and she says no no these are this is the real cipher they start going well we got no proof of that have we how would we know how hmm. How is that real? How do we know it's real? And people start sort of turning their attention to her and saying, either Ford is a cruel fraud or Bess is a poor, lovesick widow. Yeah. Whereas in this article of this author's opinion, it was real. Yeah. And it's that um, if we can avoid the cognitive dissonance and also avoid falling into the trap of wanting it to be true... I thought this was a very interesting write-up. I've never seen it written up this Mm. clearly. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because if you... Because,
0: you know, again, I'm just trying to put my sceptic head on here. So there is that thing that she so wanted it to be be true that she's kind of made it true in some ways. Um, There's a question mark about how closely guarded that cipher was at the time. Do you know what I mean? Is it something the mediums could have been, you know... Uh, had access to or known about. I guess the other one is it could be a complete coincidence, but you know, we, I mean, we've seen some amazing coincidences. We've talked about them on the podcast, but there's a certain irony to it, isn't there? With it being Houdini, you know, because although it's when I read the the book that we covered before about Houdini and um, Arthur Conan Doyle and him trying to debunk spiritualists, Houdini he always said in the book his motivation was he almost wanted to believe but he thought these people were getting in the way although when you read the book it doesn't feel that way you kind of feel he's purely coming from a skeptical point of view but yeah um but I guess he did all this a lot of this stuff and trying to investigate the paranormal because he wanted to be in contact with his mother so there is a certain symmetry in the fact that this message is coming from Houdini and his mother. It does fit the narrative of what Houdini would want.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, And what you you asked earlier, was this cipher available in any other books? Well, one article written by a sceptic points out there was a book with a cipher in it, but it's not the same cipher. Right, right. It's not the same thing at all. Right. And that piece of... um, press put out by mrs houdini was signed by amongst others john w stafford from uh, assistant associate editor of scientific american and uh, a, a chap called mr zander who was a representative of united press
0: wow
1: so it's not just her yeah yeah and
0: again that that takes you back to is it um is it a continuation of a magician's trick that involves the widow as well? But that's quite a that's quite a bold move. It's on a cruel her, trick. It's as a well. cruel trick, unless it's something that her and Houdini may have cooked up before his death. But then you can't see a motivation for it, really. I can not not given how hard Houdini had worked to almost discredit
1: fake spiritualism. No, exactly right. It would it would um, go against his belief system in a way. It would go against his belief system, and it's funny that the that the Houdini working from beyond the afterlife comes up. Um, I haven't covered it here because it's been so well covered in other places. But um, this reminded me of um, the Life After Death project, which was all about um, after Forrest J Ackerman, who was an American sci-fi godfather really yeah died um, his long-term business partner and script editor uh, associate he wrote a book and then a film about the signs from Forrest J Ackerman but when he investigates it one of the professors or I would say scientists that he talks to is doing an experiment where he believes that Houdini is working from the other side to influence a machine which is counting um, photons and wow. he believes that, f- that uh, Houdini was causing photons to appear at will in this sort of uh, experiment so it's not the first time that Houdi- Houdini comes up yeah. In afterlife experiments. Uh, uh,
0: is there any connection of why he thinks it's Houdini rather than Einstein or anybody else?
1: Uh well, uh he, he claims to have uh, well Einstein apparently is working with him. This <laughs> he's is he's in another
0: experiment. He's, he's in another
1: a, experiment. Brilliant. This is the sort of have to read the book. I mean it sounds bonkers. <laughs> right. But he's got reason to believe that it's Houdini. But Right, right. Um, that, that, that I think that book, like that book has been so well covered by other podcasts, yeah, like yeah. I say, and it's a film, I would say, just go and watch it. But what, what's the film called? Do you know? It's called, uh, the afterlife project. Okay. I've not seen that. I'm going to have to watch. I didn't know much about that. That's so fascinating. The life after death project. I'm right, sorry. Life
0: after death project. I'll check that out.
1: With Forrest J Ackerman. Absolutely fascinating. Um, one man's journey to work out whether an extraordinary, thing that happens to him just after Forest dies right is a message from Forest, or if it's something even stranger and well you'll have to watch the you have to read the book but basically it does appear to be a message from Forrest
0: and in terms of changing again this is just I'm yeah, hypothesizing yeah. but in terms of changing the photons I guess there could be almost uh, almost Tulpa like it could be because he wants it to happen, maybe he's changing the photons. Because we talked about something well, similar to that in the past, haven't we? Uh, have you been reading my notes Oh, well, we've yet? done it again.
1: Because <laughs> I think you My might spirit be... guide's
0: coming through. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's that you say, Harry? <laughs> you you might be referencing the Philip experiment. Okay. All is right. that is that what you were thinking? No, no,
0: I wasn't. I, I literally... It just
1: came into my head. So, again, the Philip experiment has been done well, but I found this really rather well um i guess uh an expert an author called stephen wagner pulled out the most important pieces because so many people have written about the philip experiment and it led me to come to a little bit of a conclusion about it but do you um, don't i get it wrong have we spoken about philip experiment before can you refresh my memory because it's like I don't remember the
0: name but I know we've talked about a couple of these type of experiments before so we may have covered it but I don't know.
1: So the idea of this experiment was to work out whether seances, Ouija boards, um, all of the things that we might know in common ghost hunting practice, whether they can be repeated in a laboratory environment oh no i've not come
0: across this this sounds
1: fascinating. right okay so the idea is the questions that are asked the hypothesis if you are doing a seance you know that typical tap once for yes yep. thing yeah are these manifestations are they the ghosts of departed people or are they the creations uh, of the people who are sitting around the table
0: right now not by by deceptive means or other means or
1: just deceptive? Oh, well, no, no, not deceptive. Not like, deceptive um, at all. Yeah, yeah. No, no, but caused by some, you know, motor neuron. Yeah, yeah. Reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to test this, this experiment, it was put together in the early 1970s by the Toronto Society for Psychical Research (TSPR) to see if they could create a ghost. Hmm. The idea was to assemble a group of people who would make up a completely fictional character. And then, oh, yes,
0: we have talked about this. Through seances,
1: yeah, see if they could contact him and receive messages and other psychic phenomena. Yeah. Perhaps even an apparition.
0: Yeah, this is fascinating. So
1: the TSPR, under the guidance of Dr. A.R.G. Owen, uh, not that... I don't know why everyone uses their middle name. We'll never, we'll never come back to his middle name ever again in this Sounds story. posh. They assembled a group of eight people culled from its membership none of whom claimed to have any psychic gifts whatsoever and the group came to be known as the Owen group and it consisted of Dr. Owen's wife who was a former chairperson of Mensa. Wow. The group was first task uh, the group's first task was to create a fictional historical ca- character. Together they wrote a short biography of a person they named Philip Aylesford. Good name. He's an aristocratic Englishman living Mm -hmm. in the middle uh, 1600s. Even better. At the time of Oliver Cromwell. He'd been a supporter of the king and was a Catholic. Mm -hmm. He was married to a beautiful but cold and frigid wife, Dorothea, Mm -hmm. the daughter of a neighbouring nobleman. One day, while out riding on the boundaries of his states, Philip came across a gypsy encampment and saw there was a beautiful, dark-eyed, raven-haired gypsy girl, Margot and felt instantly in love with her i'm feeling a curse coming (laughs) (laughs) he brought her back secretly to live in the gatehouse near the stables of diddington manor his family home this is still fiction by the way yeah yeah for some time he kept his love nest secret but eventually dorothea realizing that he was keeping someone else there found margot and accused her of witchcraft and stealing her husband Philip was too scared of losing his uh, reputation and his possessions to protest at the trial of Margot, oh. and she was evicted of, uh, convicted of witchcraft and burned at the stake. I know it's fictional, but that man had no backbone. He had no
0: morals. No. He Fi- literally made his stable and not lied in it. Well, no, he had. No. <laughs> uh, bad analogy.
1: <laughs> Philip was subsequently stricken with remorse that he had not tried to defend Margot, and used to pace the battlements of Diddington in despair. Finally, one morning, his body was found at the bottom of the battlements, whence he had cast himself in a fit of agony and remorse. The Owen group even enlisted the artistic talents of one of its members to sketch a portrait of Philip, and with their creation's life and appearance now firmly established in their minds, the group began the second phase of their experiment, contact.
0: I like that. What was it? walking the battlements of diddington in despair it sounds like a morrissey lyric
1: (laughs) diddington also sounds like a style of brogue diddington brogues i don't know why i thought that. yeah do you dress to the left sir (laughs) (laughs) in september 1972 the group begin their sittings in formal gatherings where they would discuss philip and his life meditate on him and try to visualize their collective hallucination in more detail these settings were conducted, though, in a fully lit room, and for a year they had no results. And mm. fair play to them, they carried on with this, because after a year, I think I'd have yeah, been that's, pretty that's bored. that's dedication, right. But then they decided... Did it say why they
0: didn't turn the lights
1: off, was it? W- well, um, it doesn't, but... I, I guess s- you
0: could get some trickery coming in. It probably proves... Because I guess that was a big part of seances, wasn't it? Luminous kind
1: of balls yeah. and all kinds of stuff going on. Maybe Absolutely. Maybe that that's the thing. Ectoplasm, all that sort <laughs> yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah,
0: maybe that's what it was.
1: They then d- decide that they're going to um, dim the lights, yep. sit around the table, basically adopt the classic spiritualist seance. They even sang songs um, and put pictures of like the type of castle they imagined Philip would have lived in and objects from his time period. And strangely, it worked. Wow. Yeah. During one evening seance, the group received its first communication from Philip in the form of a distant rap on the table. Soon, Philip was answering questions by the group: one rap for yes, two for no, and they knew it was Philip because they asked him. Right. And the questions took off from there, and it produced a, a wide range of phenomena that could not be explained easily. Scientifically So through the table Rapid communication The group were able To learn finer details About Philip's life He even seemed to exhibit A personality Conveying likes and dislikes Mm. He had strong views On various subjects Made plain by his enthusiasm Or hesitancy of his knockings And his spirit Was even able to move The table Sliding it from side to side Despite the fact That the floor was covered With thick carpeting At times It would even dance On one leg (laughs) Now Despite the fact he could answer questions accurately about events and people of the time period, it did not appear to be information that the group was unaware of. So, in other words, Philip's responses were coming, or could have been coming, from their subconscious. Right,
0: right. So, it it didn't say anything that none of them, at least one or two of them, didn't know already in terms of historical stuff, right?
1: Yes, but... His psychokinetic powers were amazing and completely unexplained. If the group asked Philip to dim the lights, they would dim instantly. When they were asked to restore the lights, he would oblige. The table around which the group sat almost always was the focal point of peculiar phenomena. After feeling a cool breeze blow across the table, they asked Philip if he could cause it to start and stop at will. (laughs) And he could, and he did. Wow. The climax of the experiment was a seance conducted before a live audience of 50 people. The session was also filmed in part of a, for a television documentary, and Philip was not stage shy and performed above expectations. He did table wrappings, other noises around the room and made lights blink on and off, and the group actually attained full levitation of the table. It rose only about half an inch above the table, but the, uh, this feat was witnessed by the group and the film crew. Wow. So um, it's incredible. really peculiar that a fictional yeah. spirit is coming through and causing all the sorts of phenomena that you would expect from a Victorian-era seance. Yeah. And, uh,
0: yeah, so I guess we, we'll kind of come onto it, but you're kind of going, well, it's either some kind of trickster spirit or torpor or something going on
1: right well yeah i mean just to just to finish off because it wasn't that one off the group was so successful they did it again with a new a new set of people and a new ghost lilith a french canadian spy and in sydney uh australia another group did the skippy experiment where six participants created the the story of skippy cartman a 14 year old australian girl I thought it was going and, to be a kangaroo. No, no, that, it should have been. That would have been surreal, wouldn't it? It should have been. It should have been. And, um, it, like, so this, there's all kinds of ins and outs. There's all sorts of um, elements to the story, but they all sort of um, hang on the side. Uh, and, again, thank you to Stephen Wagner for writing up this very, very concise thing. It's fascinating, thing. though, isn't it? Be- it its because it leads you to the end. As you say, what is the conclusion and the aftermath and really there there is okay so the first thing are they making it up well no they're not making it up because it was witnessed it's quite a lot of dedication to make
0: it up as well the amount of time they spent on it you know yes I mean? you would if you're going to make it up you wouldn't spend i mean that's real dedication to go we'll have a year of nothing happening and then we'll make it Kick
1: off and, and there's witnesses yeah, there's witnesses yeah yeah so number two is you're right it's a tulpa. and a lot of people were were talking at the time like maybe not using the exact word tulpa but we were was an energy able to be formed mm. that could do such a thing yeah and then the third and probably the scariest is as you said, it's a trickster. Mm. It's a demon or something that is pretending to be something it isn't and has found a way in. I guess you could also, although some of the behaviour, I
0: guess you could also throw in some kind of mass hysteria event, but then it being filmed kind of discounts that a little bit, unless it's, you know, someone in the group getting carried away with the mass hysteria and kind of lifting the table with the leg, and you know, with their leg or whatever. But, yeah, that was going through my mind as well. But it would have to be a mass hysteria event the way you're describing it.
1: Yeah, but even with a mass hysteria event, a film crew mm. is watching this table mm. lift. Mm. People are going to be seeing if anyone is actually mm. lifting the table. Yeah, yeah. But I'll tell you what it did make me think of. One of the books that I found the most fascinating, which encompasses um, like afterlife and channeling spirits is Joe Fisher's, the siren call of hungry ghosts. Mm, Yep. And for anyone who hasn't read it in a nutshell, basically um, Joe Fisher is an American or was, he sadly committed suicide. He was a uh, investigative reporter and he found through his friend, Aviva these strange voices coming through who claimed to be his guides and he tried to prove whether they were real or not and the book is about his very frustrating journey in determining the truth around what he was seeing and hearing mm. but um there's one quite extraordinary statement and I went back and checked the book and I found the line because I thought this was very pertinent so there's a there's a scene where Aviva who is this um soft and gentle voice um with uh, of his friend coming through her is um a, a channeled entity that is it calls itself Russell who's a Yorkshire farmer who claims to have lived in the 19th century in in Yorkshire and he his his the, the voice is quite clearly a Yorkshire accent But one of the things that it says, Russell told Fisher that humanity is divided into two groups, souls and essences. Souls were created from desire, entities born from knowledge. According to Russell, none of these groups is superior. And he then goes on to explain, um, you know, this could be, he doesn't use the word tulpa, but he talks about how some of the entities that, uh, that Russell, that, um, Uh, joe fisher is talking to through this woman who is under who's under um uh, hypnotism some of them aren't humans that used to live on earth they are um essentially entities born out of some knowledge or some some action and so i just wondered that made me think well that sounds very similar to what philip is if you put enough knowledge into one room and then focus it on a pinpoint like calling it philip can you make these things happen is that any more or less likely than a demon i don't know but he just i felt there was a strange connection between those two pieces of work
0: yeah definitely and it, well
1: both of them make me
0: also think about you know we were talking last week and we talk about it a lot about ants looking at the moon and things that we may not be able to understand i i started thinking a bit about some kind of collective consciousness that it could be more than just kind of a psychological or, um, yeah, a thought connection. It could also have some kind of physical manifestation as well. That would be quite interesting that, you know, we've talked about this in terms of, again, I don't want to get too scientific, but in terms of, you know, how atoms and neurons and everything are kind of interconnected. I'm not mm. sure I'm explaining that very well, but... Yeah, like that experiment they did. um, There was that Chinese experiment where they moved a photon. Was it on Earth and then it moved in space as well? Yes,
1: quantum entanglement experiment. Yeah, Yeah. those kind
0: of experiments. You know, so you could see a kind of almost collective consciousness and some kind of physical manifestation of that coming into play. I'm not explaining that well, but um, basically tapping in. To some collective something that we just don't understand and maybe as we were saying the other week it, the way you described um both of those cases in a way maybe that's just the only way we can interpret what's happening because mm. they've created you know in the in your example of the f- fictional ghost they've maybe created a narrative that makes it acceptable for those who are Experiencing whatever's going on, that it's easier to kind of pin it on that narrative than the other um, potential could be much more scary or harder to understand. Yeah,
1: yeah. Does that make
0: sense? I'm not sure. It no, did it does. No,
1: it does. It does. It it it's been it's left unexplained, and you could only have your own interpretation on it, and that is what is so frustrating about this because, um you have to not be drawn in any particular direction. But the the quandary is, something happened. What is the best hypothesis we've got of causing that one thing? Mm. And clearly what they've done is really they've tried to eliminate it's the soul of a dead person. Mm. That is pretty much, by that experiment, that is eliminated. Yeah. But then it leaves us with that quandary of, what did we create something else or yeah?
0: what is going on
1: (laughs) is there a way of letting in something from another dimension and in that other dimension from that quote from hungry ghosts is that sometimes a real human and sometimes a different sort of entity Mm. like it just it answers less questions than it asks yeah
0: yeah it did make me and i'm slightly you know we joked about skippy the kangaroo for one of them did make me think, I wonder what would happen if you did create a ghost dolphin <laughs> and you communicated with a go- mm. ghost do- I mean, I guess in terms of the experiment that you just described, whatever, whatever narrative you put down about the dolphin, which would be hard to put one down, I guess, but I guess that's what the people in the seance or in the room would feed back to you i'm interested because you said they're not giving any new information necessarily it's sticking with the narrative that's already been created so you probably couldn't work with an animal type experiment because you wouldn't get anything you know what i mean i'd love to know what's going on in a dolphin's mind is that a way of like getting some understanding of it but i guess we're saying it's not about the dolphin at all
1: no but what you could do is um you could experiment a different way where you create a lake monster, mm. and then you you uh, invent a backstory of sightings—Bigfoot mm. or something and like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we could we could take a virgin lake, as it were, and get eight people to be completely fixated on the sightings of Lakey, mm. the monster, and and. Um, then if other people started seeing it we've created a tulpa. yes
0: or we disprove a, t- a tulpa because if let's say you went for something completely ridiculous can we think of something completely ri- ridiculous like um i don't know we did that um chinese ghost story a little while back about the talking toad Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, if you did a backstory for the talking toad, there is all there's some lore and legend about it, but you said you maybe did that experiment here with the talking toad. If nothing manifested at all, would that indicate it's not a tolpa or it is a tolpa? Because are you less likely to create it because it seems ridiculous? Do you know what I mean? So, you're back to the belief system again. So, if you got a group of people saying what well, you want us to you know, Skippy the kangaroo to find out what's going on in Skippy the kangaroo's head, would it never manifest because that group, it's outside their belief system that they could summon a kangaroo ghost?
1: I think I know where you're coming from. Yes, the only trouble I'm is... I'm trying to get my head round it, but I'm not doing very well. But <laughs> No, it's just with the talking toad, you'd need to actually... You'd have to manifest the physical thing in the room... Unless you heard it talk, I don't know. Well, you could still do the, you know, knocks, couldn't you? I were talking toad, not once for yes. Yeah. There they don't go there. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. All right, maybe I've not thought this. Story. No,
1: no, no. I said no. It, it's but, a it's a way of saying that it's not a dead person for sure. Is a Does a tolper have
0: to be created because the people believe in it? Yeah, yeah. They yeah, don't yeah. believe that there is a talking toad does that mean a tulpa will never get created? So if they do have an interaction with something, could that indicate that something else is going on?
1: Yeah. That's not very scientific. No, 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 I see what you're saying. I sort of am thinking forward and going, I actually would quite like to do this experiment. It'd be a good experiment, wouldn't it? It would. It would. Um, Because, you know, there are so many things that I sort of suspect are fit into this category like um black-eyed kids Mm. for example after centuries of no sightings we have a century of many sightings yeah yeah and one causes another i wonder whether yeah okay um maybe we could do it as a yeah a listener experiment with all of us
0: yeah that's quite we need to work out how we would make it work, and it's not going to take a year. We're going to have to deal with something about that.
1: No, you know what we're like. We'll, we'll have forgotten
0: about it. Yeah, we'll have forgotten about it. We, You know, Flashback Friday will be forgotten about next week, let alone creating a tulpa toad. <laughs> well, look, let's think about-, well, think about it. If anyone's got any ideas of how we could do this yeah. experiment as a kind of mass listener event of... You know, because that would be interesting. In a way, it makes it makes me think a bit. Yuri Gallery, as well, about everybody grab their watches and sees what happens. And I know there's kind of you know there's maths involved in that, and just moving the watch can get it going and all that stuff. But I like this idea of coming up with some mass experiment. We should think on with that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Whether it's a talking toad, where the backstory is like a witch turned him into it or something, yeah. or. Uh, it could be a talking umbrella. That's my favourite thing oh, that you ever that. spoke yeah, about. Yeah, that's really funny. A talking umbrella, or yeah. a real life My Little Pony, or anything. Yeah. yeah. Please, not a werewolf. I don't actually want to see a werewolf as much as I love werewolves. Yeah. Um, okay, let's have a think on that. But if we know it's fictional, does that mean it won't work? No, because they knew Philip was fictional. They wrote oh, they the knew. story. So the people even taking part in it? Oh, it, they they, they all jointly knew. wrote the fiction. Yeah. Right.
0: Okay. So it's not they wrote it and brought people in. No, no. They knew wow. that they they okay. knew
1: it was a fictional Philip.
0: Oh, that that does work then. All right. So we'll we'll pick a character and then we'll do. That's a really good, interesting episode. We'll do
1: a fictional backstory. Well, if we put the backstory in, yeah, and we get people to focus on the backstory because this isn't like. You've got to, you know, channel something. This is just really vicious. This is like imagining your favourite story character. Mm. Um, Like I said a number of times, I self-identify as Arthur Dent quite a lot. (laughs) And it doesn't mean that I believe in Arthur Dent or that he was a real person. But whenever I see my dressing gown, I think Arthur Dent... (laughs) And so I probably think Arthur Dent probably three times a week. Yeah, well, he always so,
0: brings a towel to recording, I'll tell you yeah, that. Yeah, well, there we go. Yes, yeah. you
1: see, um, my golga and jogging towel. <laughs> so if we could come up with something that was easy for people to do, yeah. and every day we thought about what that thing was doing, yeah. where it was, yeah. Yeah. then we could see whether we could create a Philip-like environment or or experiment yeah but not with a fictional person let's do it with something else
0: yeah something something that's yeah because that's what, what that's what got me off on that that direction is because of all the interconnection with ghosts and you know wanting to get in contact with the dead and all that stuff psychologically i think that that adds a certain pressure or confusion to things but if it's you know something we don't think of in that context like a toad or or actually something inanimate like a my little pony then that becomes kind of interesting
1: i really want to see people reporting real life my little ponies in fields in Dartmoor, (laughs) but i think it might take more than the collective consciousness of a few hundred of us to do that but um i think that's the other thing as well we don't want it to be scary it can't be yeah we don't want to freak people out. we don't want to freak people out but I you know I wonder whether Jeff the talking mongoose wasn't something like mm. this. Yeah, yeah. I can really see that it might be. Okay, let's all collectively have a think and we'll yeah. regroup next week. Yeah. And definitely. We will start it as a little experiment for the summer.
0: Yeah, cool. That's a really good idea.
1: Cuz I think if we start talking about like leaving bits of chocolate out for it and stuff like that, I I think we might get more of an effect, but I will say <laughs> we might get sponsorship from Cadbury's. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've also got to answer to ourselves: yeah. if thousands, no, millions of people believe in Santa Claus and his reindeer, yeah. we have spoken about stories where people believe they've heard and, Santa, have Well, and seen him, yes. and seen him, but um that's obviously a pretty like you couldn't get a more tulpery tulper yeah uh backstory than that yeah so we'll we we'll just have to moderate our expectations yeah. but um yeah let's do it i love that yeah cool that's really
0: fascinating really interesting it's a bit to get your head around isn't it i i struggled a little bit of just but i think we kind of got there didn't we we kind of ended up this whole episode has led to this idea of some kind of experiment i love that kind of idea
1: yeah yeah unless not manifest in the bath people
0: yeah no no manifest well unless it's a kind Or oh, unless of, it's the toad or a rubber duck
1: I, no, i'm not manifesting a rubber duck okay, okay right. and the math bath might be too hot for a toad yeah you don't yeah no you don't want to go there all
0: right well we'll think on and if any anyone listening to this <laughs> is still with us and doesn't think we've gone absolutely loopy um let us know if you've got any ideas of how we could do it because it's uh, there's something here we just we're formulating it on the fly as we're talking but um there's something here we can do
1: and if you're called philip and you're not a Tolper yeah. and you are listening to us let us know yeah definitely but if you are a tulper even better yeah let us know <laughs> yeah
0: well rather than knock once or twice if you can kind of like subscribe or write a review that's even better <laughs> um brilliant all right well um yep uh we'll be back next week with more detail of our crazy plan to do a weird experiment
1: <laughs> all right take care everybody we'll see you then see bye. You, bye. Bye. bye
0: The Quantum Mechanics